Welcome to Menlo Church Online. We're excited to have you tuning in and joining us today. We are a church where we believe that everybody's welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything really is possible. Enjoy today's message. I want to greet everybody at all of our campuses, folks joining us online. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to uh, do kind of the introduction, and your job is to say, hi, John, back to me. I just want to remind you, when you say, hi, John, you have to pack into it all the joy of the gospel, all the warmth and acceptance of God's love. You have to say it with uh, so much grace and, and so much fervor that I or whoever will be up here teaching during this series is glad to confess with courageous, outrageous transparency and honesty. So, hi, everybody. My name's John. I'm a sinner. Hi. <laughs> oh, man. Makes me want to tell you about some of my sins. Uh, I need God. So, when this series called away, we're learning together how to grow spiritually, or to put it another way, we're learning how to live as followers of Jesus, as disciples. Now, in order to be a disciple... Uh, you have to have a way of life that you're living. A lot of people believe that they're Christians, but if you're asked, are you a disciple, they're kind of fuzzy on that. And in the New Testament, people weren't fuzzy. When Jesus was around, their way of life was literally physically to follow him and learn from him how to pray and, and, and how to grow and how to relate to other people. And then, then there was the Acts 2 church. Now we're working on uh, the way in our day. And I promise you, the steps that we're talking through uh, can be used by God, have been used by God for centuries to change lives, kind of not rocket science, and they will be used by God to change your life if you practice them with sufficient intensity, beginning with surrender. We talked about that the first week. Just give up. That's always the foundation. Your will be done. And then last week, we looked at what are we feeding our minds? We have these amazing gifts, our minds, and we're often so cavalier with them, and we want to intentionally feed our mind great thoughts from the scripture, and that's think of. Uh, one statement from the calendar during this week as we thought about that was, I will not neglect your word from Psalm 119. Uh, that's just a great promise. I won't neglect your word. So now we're coming to the third step, and I'll describe this from the Bible. Uh, in scripture, it says, when Moses was a young man and he had not yet met God, he saw an Egyptian beating and eventually killing one of his own people. It says, Moses looked this way and that way, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses looked this way, he looked that way. Which way did Moses not look? He didn't look up. He didn't invite God into his situation. He did not ask God for knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. If he would have looked up, things would have happened very differently. I promise you, even if there's someone at work who is very, very hard to get along with, if you pause and pray to God with a surrendered spirit, the thought that will come to you will not be, kill them and bury their body in the sand. 
Jesus himself was a person of immense prayer. From 40 days of prayer at the beginning of his ministry to a final night in prayer before his death. It's interesting. When we pray, very often it's uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. That's actually not the normal posture for prayer in the Bible. It's okay, but it's not what characters in Scripture usually did when they prayed. A friend of mine says it was mostly invented, heads bowed, eyes closed, by Victorian Sunday school teachers to make antsy little kids settle down. When Jesus prayed, for instance, for his friend Lazarus, we're told Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you that you've heard me. In his last great prayer with his disciples, the text says Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven and prayed. I think Jesus often looked up physically when he prayed because in prayer, we live again in the elevated vision of God's power and God's presence and God's goodness. And here's the choice we're faced with over and over by prayer. I can live without God. I can look down at the size of my problems, the smallness of my adequacy, my uncertainty about tomorrow, the fear in my heart, or I can look up at the size of my God, at the greatness of his sufficiency, at the promise that he holds tomorrow in the palm of his hand, at the offer he gives me, don't fear, don't fear, don't be afraid because I'm with you. In prayer, I remember I can't, but he can. I think I'll let him. Last week, the message boiled down to three words, read the Bible. This week, it's even simpler, one week, pray. Now, part of what we're doing in this series every week is coming out of denial and facing up to the lame excuses that we tolerate to live lives of spiritual mediocrity. So I just want to ask if any of these excuses have ever occurred to your mind as a reason to avoid prayer. I don't have time to pray. I don't know how to pray. I tried before and didn't get what I wanted, so I don't think it works. I'm not sure there is a God. I think there is a God, but I don't think he's involved at the level of my little life. My mind wanders when I pray. If I try a formula for prayer, it feels contrived. If I freestyle, it feels confusing. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm too cynical. I'm too tired. I fall asleep when I pray. I'm afraid if I prayed, God would make me change things I don't want to change. Other people seem to hear God when they pray, and I don't hear him. If God already knows everything, my prayers wouldn't change anything, so I don't know why I should bother. I did something bad last night, so I'm in spiritual timeout today. I'm too extroverted. I'm too introverted. The dog ate my homework. It's amazing how we can rationalize prayerlessness and how we'll attribute bad stuff to God and good stuff for ourselves. Anytime something bad happens to me, I think, why? Where's God? What kind of world is this? How could anybody have faith to pray in a world of so much suffering? But when something good happens to me, I think, man, I'm killing it. <laughs> Folk singer named Pete Seeger told a story that just captures the human mindset. It's a way that we all operate. Two in this story, two little brother maggots, two little worms, were sitting on a shovel handle when a workman picked it up and walked off. One of them fell into a crack in the sidewalk. The other fell into a dead cat. He ate and ate for the next three days till he could hold no more. And then he went to the crack in the sidewalk and called down to ask his brother how he was doing. Brother said, I've been here three days without anything to eat or anything to drink. I'm nearly starved. But you are sleek and fat. To what do you attribute your success? Brains and personality, brother. And that's the human condition. Ask anybody in Silicon Valley. To what do you attribute your success? Brains and personality. Until we fall into the crack in the sidewalk. 
which we will. And then we'll be reminded we were not meant to live on the power of brains and personality, remarkable as yours may be. We are meant to run on God. Now I want to talk about the kind of prayer this step involves. Lots of different kind of prayers. This is non-optional, what might be called lifeline prayer. Uh, I'm not talking in this step about prayers for particular outcomes or circumstances. Health, finances, job, relationship. It's not wrong to talk to God about those things. Uh, but sometimes those kind of prayers are really just me trying to run the show again. And then when I don't get the answer I want for the circumstance, I may feel like prayer doesn't work. So it's important to remember that prayer is not the use of a force. It's not magic. It's a conversation with a person. If I flip a switch and the light doesn't go on, it didn't work. If I turn the key and the ignition and the car didn't start, it didn't work. But if I talk to a person, if I talk to my wife and say, in addition to your full-time job, I'd like you to be at my beck and call, fix me eggs in the morning, massage my feet at night, iron my shirts, polish my shoes, draw my bath, wash my car, and those things do not happen, does that mean that talking to my wife doesn't work? No. Does that mean that my mind doesn't work? Probably. <laughs> Saying a prayer is not casting a spell. It's not magic. It's talking with God. And of course, God knows way more than me. Part of faith means trusting that if you knew what God knows and you loved like God loves and you saw what God sees, you would do what God does. So here's the core prayer that's involved in step three. Uh, think up, live up, and now look up. God, please give me knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. Remember, the foundation for all spiritual life, always surrender. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. So now this foundational prayer flows right of that, out of that. God, let me know from one moment to the next. What's your will for me right now? Give me the power to do it. There's a wonderful invitation to prayer in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, that shows how important this step is. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, when is our time of need? You know, you could actually divide your moments up into, based on this passage, times of need and times of not need. Moments when we need something from God versus moments when we don't need anything from God. So here's the question. How often do you need something from God to live well? Somebody makes a wrong comment or uses body language I might take the wrong way or respond too badly. When a problem at work is beyond my wisdom. When my child might incline me to worry. When my thoughts drift towards envy or resentment or disobedience. When I'm afraid about money or a conversation. When I'm ungrateful or bored or lustful or afraid. Or, on the other hand, when I might miss an opportunity 
for love and joy and peace without God's help. When I might miss the chance to bless somebody at Starbucks or in the next cubicle, or how not to squander the precious gift of time and life, how to make memories with friends and with family, how to be unhurried, non-irritated, how to love. How many moments of your life would go better if you were receiving wisdom, peace, guidance, gratitude, warning, and love from God beyond your own little petty power of brains and personality? And of course, the answer is all of them. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in times of need. Well, that's every time. That's every moment. A friend of mine named Gary Haugen said God spoke to him a phrase a few years ago that just changed his life. He was heading into a year of challenge. He leads something called International Justice Mission. It's a partner of ours, and their work is very daunting, often quite dangerous. And God said to him, I do not want another year of prayerless striving. Man, I, I don't want that to be my life. Prayerless striving. I can choose a prayerful life. I can seek, above all else, the steady companionship of Jesus as my friend and Savior and high priest. I can look up. Or I can live in prayerless striving, constantly overwhelmed, burdened by outcomes, regretting the past, anxious about the future. I can look down. God, give me the knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. Now, we're getting real practical in this series, so I'm going to recommend that you start every day with prayer. Doesn't have to be heroic. Doesn't have to be long. Scripture writer says God's mercies are new every morning. Now, there's a problem for some of you. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are not. You may wake up grumpy and groggy and quite unsanctified in the morning. Nobody wants to be around you till you've had your coffee. Even Jesus doesn't want to be around you till you've had your coffee. So then start with coffee. <laughs> Just for God's sake, literally, for God's sake, start with coffee. And, uh, and then find a place to pray for a few moments where you won't be interrupted. If you have small children and they just won't be quiet early in the morning, you may want to move away from them for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> Or you may have to make other adjustments about when to pray. Get up earlier, or do it during nap time, or get creative. Uh, there's a little app. I have this one that's called Pray As You Go, and it leads you in five, 15 minutes of guided prayer time with Scripture. I'll sometimes use that when I'm getting ready in the morning. Again, if you're going with us through this series, just uh, use this little calendar and that step of surrender and Scripture and prayer. You don't have to do anything beyond this. It will just guide you right through it. Most days, I'll have a time of morning prayer at my desk in my office or at a little table at home. I have some friends that like to light a candle to help remind them this little space is an altar and God's light and God's warmth is here. This is a remarkable invitation from our passage in Hebrews. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Six words here teach us so much about how to pray. We approach God's throne, the text says. Who's sitting on God's throne? Did not intend this to be a trick question. Uh, you're insured, so that's a big clue. Kind of like who's in Grant's tomb. Who's sitting on God's throne? That would be God. And that means I don't start by thinking about my problems. 
I start by thinking about God's power. God is on the throne. God is superintending the cosmos. God is able. He is able to deliver David from Goliath. He is able to deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He is able to give a child to 90-year-old Sarah. He is able to calm the storm. He is able to part the Red Sea. He is able to walk on the water. He is able to judge the nations in righteousness. He is able to harden the heart of Pharaoh and soften the heart of Saul. He is is more than able to give more than all we can ask or imagine according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Prayer is not just positive thinking. Prayer is not whispering gentle wishes into the universe someplace. We are approaching a throne, and there is somebody on the throne, and that somebody is God, and our God is able. And if we were not a Presbyterian church at this point, somebody would say amen, because this is good news. We approach God's throne. That's amazing. Throne, of course, is a great image of power and sovereignty. But our text says that throne has a name. This is amazing. It's not the throne of performance. It is not the throne of brains and personality. It is not the throne around which beautiful people of wealth and importance network. It's not even the throne of spiritual giants. It's the throne of grace. It's a throne for misfits and mess-ups and the needy and the desperate and the unclean and the sinful and the losers and the failures and the left behind. But who sits on a throne? Who occupies the seat of power and wants to hang out with that crowd? Well, that's our God. And that's why when we come together, We've got to come out of hiding and into the light just the way we are, warts, sins, all. And not just that, we come to God's throne of grace in confidence, not in fear, not in anxiety, not in inadequacy, not in uncertainty, confidence. And the reason for our confidence has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our performance, not even our spiritual performance, not our achievement, not our attainment, not our gifts. We have confidence because we have a high priest, and his name is Jesus. Every morning, I remember when I wake up, when I had no business approaching this throne, when I was separated from God through my sin and my guilt, Jesus became my great high priest, offering his life as a sacrifice on a blood-stained cross so that that I, sinful man that I am, come boldly into the presence of God to receive help. And I want to challenge all of us on this for a moment. For a long time in my life, I found prayer hard, and I didn't find it particularly helpful. And then one day, I went back to look through old journals. I'll often write uh, in a journal, and I would often write my prayers. But I discovered when I would go back and read through them, mostly what I thought of as my prayers were just a recitation of my inadequacy on the previous day. Dear God, yesterday I did not do well as a dad, didn't do very well as a husband, didn't do very well in what I said, I was not productive at work, I didn't get much done, I didn't have a great attitude, I didn't have as joy that I wanted to have, I just kind of let the day slip away. And I could sense God saying to me as I read through those prayers, John, I'm master of the universe and creator of all that is, and your prayers are depressing me. (laughs) I'm God, and I don't like to be depressed. I'm not used to it. And I thought, my prayers are depressing me. 
And it was though God was saying to me, John, in the morning, you can fill your mind with your inadequacy, or I can fill your mind with my sufficiency. Your call. In the morning, you can fill your mind with your inadequacy. There's plenty of it. Or I can fill your mind with my sufficiency. And there's plenty of that. Your call. Gang, no kidding. Prayer is not supposed to be depressing. It's an amazing thing to come into God's presence. Sometimes, of course, there will be pain as I come to grips with self-awareness and who I am and confess. But, but prayer is not, at its root, an expression of inadequacy. Prayer is coming to God's throne. He is able, of grace, I'm forgiven, in confidence. Jesus is my high priest to invite Jesus into my day. And I look at the people that I'm going to meet and the challenges I'm going to face and the problems I have not solved and the questions I have not answered. And I ask, God, give me the wisdom to know your will and the power to carry it out. I can't. You can. I think I'll let you. I ask God just for today. Give us this day our daily bread. I have to let go of my demands to know all about tomorrow. That is not where my security lies. It lies with God. So manna for today, manna for today, this moment. I don't tell God how to solve these problems. I often pray what's called, some of you will know this, in AA or 12-step movements, the morning prayer. God, direct my thinking so that it's divorced from self-seeking, dishonesty, self-will, self-pity, and fear. Inspire my thoughts, decisions, and intuitions. Help me to relax and take it easy. Free me from doubt and indecision. Guide me through the day. Show me my next step. Give me whatever I need to solve any problem. I ask these things that I might be of maximum service to you and my fellow human beings. In Jesus' name I pray. And I can't tell you how often a word, a phrase from that prayer, just what I need, just what I need, just what I need. And then I don't just talk, I listen. I'm still and I allow thoughts to come into my mind, which may be from God. Now, you might find it hard to believe in a God who speaks. Or you may believe that God could speak, but that he would never do that with somebody like you. But the Bible is full of people God speaks to, and many of them are not particularly spiritually impressive. God spoke to Cain, and he killed his brother. God spoke to Moses. He was a murderer and a fugitive. God spoke to Abraham. He was a liar. God spoke to David. He was an adulterer. God spoke to Solomon. He was a polygamist. God spoke to Jonah. He was a runaway. God spoke to Thomas. He was a doubter. God spoke to Peter. He was the denier. God spoke to Lazarus. He was dead. God spoke to a donkey whose name we don't even know. Why do you think God could not speak to you? There was a businessman in L.A. named Robert McFarlane. He was under tremendous strain in his work and deeply discouraged over what he had counted as 22 problems uh, that were involved in this business that he had to manage. He had recently become a follower of Jesus through a church called Rolling Hills Covenant, but was in so much despair, he got on the road and he was simply going to drive away and disappear when the thought came into his mind, pull over to the curb, and he did. And, and when he did, he said, there came to him as though someone was with him these words, my son had strains that you will never know. And when he had those strains, 
He turned to me. And that's what you should do. And Robert sat at the wheel of that car and sobbed. And then he didn't disappear. He drove to the office and found that by the end of the day, not only had most of the problems been substantially resolved, but he had been internally changed. He now knew God's will to face his work together with God one moment at a time. And he'd been given the power to do it. A woman I know had a a child that was a problem kid, and she knew he was a problem kid. And she kept praying, God, change that kid. Anybody here ever pray that prayer? (laughs) But the kid didn't change. And then one day the word that came to her was, become a student of your child. I made him so you discover the special brilliance I have placed inside that child. And she spent the next two years looking for and discovering what she called the native genius of her son, and it transformed their relationship. Guess who it turned out the problem was? See, and that's what I find in prayer. Remember, this prayer, step three, is not, give me this, change her, prevent that, produce those. It's, God, give me the knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. In the morning, approach God's throne, God you are able, of grace, unforgiven, with confidence. I can't, you can. And then all through the day, take little breaks to pray. When you're in the car, when you're in a store, pray for God's will in your conversation with people that you talk to. See how often you can remember to do it. Take little prayer breaks at work. If you're wondering if that's legal in a secular society, you already take breaks to check the stock market or to look at Facebook, so just use that time to pray and ask God to help. Pray when you email. Pray when you leave the office. Pray when you're anxious. Pray when you're confused. Pray when you're angry. Wake up with prayer. Pray as you think through the day. Look up, look up, look up. And then I'm going to recommend that you end the day with prayer. It's a great way to end the day. Again, doesn't have to be heroic, doesn't have to be long. The psalmist said, Oh Lord, I remember your name in the night. And this is uh, one of my favorite prayers. It's the best way I know to end the day, hand everything over to God, sleep well, be ready for a wonderful morning. Uh, we don't have time to go through this particular prayer and this message, but you can get it through our life group study. We kind of walk through it there. I want to give you one last. I think in our day where we live, probably the biggest barrier to prayer is just our sheer sense of inflated self-sufficiency. The illusion, I am in control. I am captain of my ship. I am master of my fate. I have a friend that worked in government. He was in Washington for some years and was just struck by, in that place, kind of like where we live, the struggle of power and ego and control. And he was talking to his boss about this, and his boss gave him a picture that I thought was really apt. He had him come over to the window and look at the Potomac River, and he said, now imagine a log floating down that river. And my friend did, and he said, imagine that that log has 200,000 ants on it. My friend said, that's a big log. His boss said, yep. 
And every one of those 200,000 ants thinks they're steering the log. He said, that's what Washington, D.C. is like. <laughs> Guess where else is like that? Brains and personality, brother. Brains and personality. Until you fall into the crack in the sidewalk. And this will happen in real personal ways. Uh, when I went to college, there was a guy who lived on my floor my freshman year. His name was Judd. And he was one of those just very remarkable people, really, really smart, uh, very athletic, great basketball player, real good-looking guy. He's a really good guy. Uh, very gifted, went into finance and investing and uh, uh, founded, became the CEO of a company that in a lot of ways has kind of uh, transformed that world. And, uh, he's admired in those circles a ton. Married a woman that was also in our class at college. Her name was Susan a very accomplished, very gifted, brilliant writer, author. He's a beautiful person. Years later, Nance and I lived in Chicago for about a decade, and all four of us became friends, and we would get together periodically. They were people of deep faith in Jesus. And we had dinner one evening, and Susan told us that she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, glioblastoma. And for the next two years, we walked through as it just robbed her body one after another of all those remarkable gifts and abilities. And I, I did her memorial service. By that time, I'd moved out here, and I can remember the last time that I talked with both of them on phone, and this amazing communicator, writer, verbal person was down to one sentence, and that one sentence was from the book of Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. Judd eventually remarried, and uh, his business would bring him out occasionally to the Bay Area. This Thursday, he and his new wife had gotten into town, and it was about one o'clock in the morning, and they were in a taxi cab driving from SFO, and a drunk driver was coming the wrong way on 101 and hit their car head on. And the taxi driver and Judd and his wife and the other driver were all killed immediately. And I got word on that day, and it's, you know, if there was ever a couple that when you meet them, you would just think by gift, by choice, by wisdom of life, is in a little cocoon of protection. Unspeakable sadness for those children and for the family of the woman driving that car. You know, going through this series, gang, I just got to say, addiction has a power that is from the pit of hell, what it does to a life. And, and for anybody that's got it, and we'll all wrestle with it in one way or another to step into the light. God, I can't, you can. And gang, the depth of hope for Judd and for Susan. I know my Redeemer lives. We're not steering the log. I need God. And you do too. And he's just a prayer way. Would you pray with me for just a moment?
God, there's so much I don't understand. Life is such a precious gift and it hangs by such a slender thread. And so often we wake up in the morning and think, yep, I'm in charge, I'm in control. Just take for granted it's another day. And then we remember. I pray, God, right now for everybody who needs you, and that's everybody. We want to meet with you, God. Meet us here and meet us now. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that you feel inspired and challenged by today's message and that you can take it and apply it to your everyday life. If you want to keep following along with Menlo Church, feel free to join us on social media where you can find out what's happening. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week.